You're listening to the Godfather and Gorney Podcast on Rivals.com with your host, the Godfather of Recruiting, Mike Farrell. <laughs> this podcast is taking a turn. And National Recruiting Analyst, Adam Gorney. We once spent a New Year's Eve together in Denny's in San Antonio, and it was really the low point of my life. That's right. We are back. Back after a uh, mini hiatus after the five-star challenge. This is the Gorney and Godfather podcast. My name is Dave Barry, producer of the show, and I'm joined by the stars of the show, Adam Gorney and Mike Farrell. And guys, uh, we've got a lot to talk about. We, we didn't have a podcast last week. We were, uh, I know Gorney was on vacation and joined some time on the East Coast. Um, but we can go back and, and recap the five-star challenge, and we've got plenty more to talk about. So, uh, Mike, I'll let you start off uh, with that. Yeah, we'll talk about uh, each position real quick. So quarterback-wise, I was impressed most with Bo Nix. The Auburn commitment, I thought he uh, had more zip on the ball than most anybody else at the event. Now, the question is going to be, of course, is he a five-star? You know, I- I'm not sure. We're going to meet as a group in August to do our next rankings. Um, I-, I thought he was impressive, uh, certainly more impressive than I expected him to be, especially after he was up and down a little bit at our regional event. Um, and then the, the second best quarterback to me was Graham Mertz, uh, who's going to Wisconsin, followed by, uh, again, you could toss these guys up, and, and it could be either or Ryan Holinsky, South Carolina, and Sam Howell, uh, Florida State. And I think there was a pretty good drop-off after that. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, and it's going to be an interesting debate about a five-star quarterback in this class. We know four years from now, there will be at least one quarterback taken in the first round in the NFL draft. Does it come from this list of guys? Um, does it come from somebody that we see late in the summer? Do we just kind of still wait off and wait and wait to see them in their senior seasons? I don't know. I mean, did, did we see a five-star quarterback out there, a surefire guy that's going to be a first-round draft pick? Did we see Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen on that field? I don't think so. I thought Bo Nix I don't know. Was- I, I really like Nick's a lot. I, I did, and and that Spencer Rattler won the the Elite Eleven, and we know the Elite Eleven is you know a little bit overrated. Most of those guys bust out, especially the ones who win it. But um, you know he's he's a guy who was impressive at the opening as well, who will be in the discussion. So I think I think those are the two guys. But um, you know I'm I'm leaning towards the Bo Nicks five star, but I don't make the final decision. We had every analyst on hand there. Uh, it's a group of eight. If there's a tie, I win. Uh, but I don't know if there'll be a tie on this one. Based on the conversations after the event itself, I think a lot of people were leaning more towards you, where they were impressed with him, but didn't think he was a five star. Yeah, but but the, then you know, like I just said, the question remains: there's going to be somebody that's going to be picked in the first round. So should we make a decision on the best on who we feel is the best quarterback in this class, whether it is Knicks or Rattler? Um, I don't know. You know, I, I thought he was very good. I thought he was very solid. But if you put Bo Nix on the field with Josh Rosen, Sam Darnold, Lamar Jackson, whoever else, the guys that just come to the top of the mind, does he stand out in this on the same level? Maybe he does. That's the first time I've seen him. I was definitely impressed with him. I liked how he competed all day and threw the ball consistently all day. I thought Mertz really started well and then kind of slowed down once 7-on-7 seven seven came uh, with the speed, dealing with the speed. Um, but yeah, I thought Bonex was definitely number one. Mertz was number two, and then you could have a discussion of Howell and Halinski in three and four. I thought Howell was solid. I thought Halinski was solid. I've seen him better than that 
throughout the spring and summer, um, but I think those four definitely stood out. Yeah, and you know, the, uh, some of the younger guys, obviously Harrison Bailey's a 2020, has time to develop. Bryce Young's a 2020, Drew Pine's a 2020. Uh, Grant Cannell, 2019 going to Arizona, just, you know, again, same guy we saw last year, hasn't really making, uh, made the, the steps we're looking for and, and the progress with his delivery and some other things here and there. So uh, quarterbacks are very sensitive, I'll tell you that much. I did the breakdown on most of these guys, and man, uh, not just the quarterbacks, but the quarterbacks' parents, the quarterbacks' coach, the, the it, just everybody. It's like my goodness, you, you you criticize somebody in any way, shape, or form, and they're going to lose their mind. And that's that's just it's it's I guess it's the position. You know, I know other kids complain and other coaches complain about stuff, but there's nobody more fragile than a quarterback when it comes to ego, and and that worries me a little bit too. I mean, if you can't take criticism, you can't erase a bad performance and move forward. Uh, I don't know what type of quarterback you're going to be at the at the college level. So, uh, But we took a lot of flack for some of the other guys we, we talked about. Yeah, more than anything that comes to mind when it comes to that is there's going to be far greater criticism from others once these kids get to college campuses. And learning how to deal with that and handle it and honestly not care about it and just moving forward and doing whatever you're going to do is most important. Never did Josh Rosen call me and go, you're being too critical of me. <laughs> so he, he just didn't care. So, no, uh, he didn't. So there's a little of that, too, that, you know, honestly does kind of go into evaluations and how things are going to pan out and all of those kinds of things. So, yes, very delicate position. Um, it's strange how much more quarterbacks care about their performance not their performance, their their critique uh, than any other position, but it is certainly there. Yeah, the running backs, Trey Sanders was the best. I thought Devin Ford was a close second. Sean Dollars was okay. Uh, had his moments, um, you know, the Oregon commitment, but got injured, so missed a part of the seven-on-seven seven in a collision. And then Mark Anthony Richards wasn't as impressive as I hoped, but Sanders is the guy i mean he's the number one running back in this class at least right now and, and i think he proved that yeah if I, if I if i had to say it i would say sanders was clearly number one and then it was a distant second to four dollars and then richards i thought sanders just looked so much better than anybody else and then performed so much better than anybody else so i think we got that right by switching sanders to number one devon ford to number two and then uh and then going from there because i think trey sanders definitely I wouldn't say made a statement in Atlanta, but he definitely proved that he is the number one running back in this class right now. I don't think it was that distant, though. I really liked Evan Ford. I liked him. You know, I saw him in the regional event at New Jersey, and I wasn't as impressed. You know, he's a tall, upright running back. Doesn't make people miss, you know, at least in, in the camp setting. But, you know, camp setting is not football. He put in the film, and he's an outstanding running back who can make people miss. Has great jump cut and, and good feet. And I thought he was very good, too. So I think it's 1A, 1B. And they're both five stars. Um, so I don't think anybody really, you know, lost that fifth star in any way, shape, or form. And, and I thought it was a little bit closer. That's, uh, your, that's your Northeast <laughs> bias talking, Mike. Well, you're the Penn State guy. I mean, you know, I'm surprised you're not calling him the next Saquon Barkley. He's, you know, who knows who the next Saquon Barkley is. I think he was ranked 107th in the nation or something by us. And, 
And to your point, Josh Rosen was ranked number one at one point and number two for the rest of that cycle, so there's really not a lot that he had to complain about. Some of these other guys are ranked a little too high, especially the 2020s. That's the tough part. You know, when you come together with a list so early on 2020 kids who still have two full years to play football, you got to rank them somewhere. And usually, you know, you get guys that are ranked way too low, and they shoot up the list, and guys that are ranked way too high. And I think we have a couple quarterbacks that are just ranked too high right now. Um, we'll go to tight end before wide receiver because the wide receiver position was absolutely loaded. Now, we had Zachary Evans listed as a tight end, sort of a slot receiver. He's a running back, um, 2020 kid, absolutely outstanding. I mean, he is such an impressive kid. Uh, when it comes to his, everything he does physically, uh, including catching the ball. Um, he was a little dinged up, but I, I think he's going to be special. And, and I think every tight end there, you know, raised their stock a little bit in my mind. I mean, Eric Gilbert's already a five-star, so he, he can't really raise his stock much. Uh, but Jalen Lay, who's going to Clemson, was just huge, has some problems with his hands here and there, but uh, just a massive tight end who's going to be trouble for the ACC. And then Garmin Randolph, a tall, skinny kid, uh, has a lot of upside as well. So I thought that position was athletic. Usually we have some of these plodding guys that never get looked at in 7-on-7 seven seven because they're just not open. That wasn't the case. Yeah, Lay was arguably may, you know, maybe the best-looking guy there. Uh, he was just outstanding-looking, huge. Uh, I know there are some questions about him catching the ball, uh, but you take you know you take that guy in three or four years, he could be something incredibly special. Gilbert looks great, and then Randolph kind of looks and reminds me of kind of like a basketball small forward. I think he needs to be a little bit more physical. Some linebackers were kind of jamming him at the line and not letting him get into his route, but you know over the years as he develops physically, all three of those guys looked super super special. Um, and like you said about Zachary Evans, you know, I can't believe that kid still has two years of high school left. Uh, definitely one of the top players in, in the country for the 2020 class, which honestly continues to look very loaded. Yeah, again, I think the 2019 class, we look at it and we're like, eh, it's not a great class. But, you know, when I did the comparison of the top guys at each position in the 2019 class versus 2020, it was pretty even. So... There are a lot of 2019 guys that are good. I just think the depth of the class in 2020 and some of the high-end guys like Zachary Evans are more high-end. I would take Zachary Evans over Trey Sanders right now. Um, I think he's going to be a better running back. I think he's shiftier. I think he's, uh, you know, faster, more explosive. And, you know, he was a kid who really impressed me. The wide receiver position was absolutely loaded. Um, it's kind of hard to pick out who the best one is. Um, we had a tough time with the MVP. We gave it to Trajan Bridges, who had a great 7-on-7 seven seven and showed all those skills. Oklahoma fans are insisting this kid's a five-star. Um, you know, he's a little bit skinny, but he makes some great catches. Um, but Theo Weiss went against Derek Stingley Jr. Uh, four reps, won three of them, uh, was solid in 7-on-7 seven seven as well. Um, I was, you know, very impressed with Trey Palmer who played both ways, defensive back and wide receiver, and, and just couldn't be stopped as a wide receiver. Jaden Hasselwood and Elijah Higgins are both big wide receivers, as, are, as is Trey Knox, guys that are extremely big and physical. Um, and then Nolan Gruel, uh, the Wake Forest commitment, probably the most technically sound wide receiver we saw at the event itself. And, and this doesn't even include guys like John Dunmore and Mark Britt and 
um, you know, on and on it goes. So I thought the wide receiver position, Garrett Wilson, who's going to Ohio State, wide receiver position was the most loaded at the event. Did you think Garrett Wilson proved he was a five-star? I, I kind of left a little underwhelmed. Yeah, I don't see that. I was expecting more of a dominant performance. I was expecting more of a consistent performance. I thought he flashed in, in spots and made some great plays here and there. But he wasn't a takeover guy. Um, you know, I think Trajan Bridges was a takeover guy in the seven-on-seven seven and helped lead his team to the title. Um, I think, you know, he wasn't that that dominant in the early session, though. Theo Weiss was dominant in the early session against Stingley, uh, but, you know, wasn't dominant in the seven-on-seven seven or, or takeover guy. I think the depth of the receivers themselves, um, you know, really speaks to, you know, where we're at in this 2019 class and who's a five-star and who's not a five-star. It's going to be a really difficult rankings meeting when we go and take a look at these guys because you could make it, you can make a case for Trey John Bridges. You can make a case for Trey Palmer. You can make a case for Garrett Wilson. You could make a case for uh, Nolan Gruel. <laughs> I mean, you know, he is just outstanding in every way, shape, or form. So, a lot of these guys uh, you can make a case for. We don't obviously want to have 10 five-star wide receivers. It's ridiculous. The position is it's devalued, certainly, um, you know, at the NFL level. And then that's kind of what we base things on, um, although we do rank them based on college and NFL potential. But wide receivers just aren't being drafted in the first round as much anymore. And when they are, they're usually busting out. Yeah, and you know there has been that study since 2014 or whatever, John Ross and down the line of guys that really haven't produced in the first round yet. And it's a small study. I mean, they've been in the league two or three years. But this position was very interesting because you know Theo Weiss is the number one receiver. Did he physically? Does he look like the number one receiver? I don't think so. But when he plays, he beats Stingley numerous times. He was very impressive. Did everything you look for. I just come back to. Man, Oklahoma's receivers down the road are going to be, you know, a very special group. Bridges was dominant in seven-on-seven. And what he did was he made a bunch of tough catches on the sideline, back of the end zone, over defensive backs, that kind of thing. And he was incredibly impressive. You go up and down this list, uh, you know, Trey Knox in the red zone, you just throw it up to him. He's got those long arms. He can go up and get it. Uh, I I liked everybody. Gruel was... you know, in in terms of a guy who was consistently good all day, made every catch, got open against everybody, it was Nolan Grohl. So Wake Forest is getting getting an absolute steal there. And then the one guy we didn't talk about much, but who I liked a lot was Jamison Williams. He's skinny, uh, but he's wiry. He's super bouncy and athletic, and he made a lot of catches. So that's another guy uh, who I think made an impression on me among the other guys that you've talked about. Yeah, very fast. And uh, Jonathan Mingo was good, too, the kid out of uh, Mississippi. I mean, he was excellent. So, you know, there weren't too many guys that – I mean, it's easier to pick out the guys that were a little underwhelming. I mean, John Dunmore ran some great routes but dropped some passes. Um, I, I don't know. You know, the, the, Mikel Broussard was better than I expected, but he's he's a three-star kid, you know. Um David Bell didn't get to participate. Cam Coleman didn't really impress me that much. Jalen Curry was better than a lot of people expected. He had a pretty good day, I thought, overall. Joshua Downs is a little guy, uh, really hard to cover in this setting, but size 
is an issue there. Lance Wilhoyt didn't do that, that much for me. I expected a little bit more of him. And, and then Wondell Robinson was outstanding throughout the day, except he had two massively huge drops in the championship game. So um, I don't know. There's just a lot of guys that, you know, impressed, and we're going to have a really hard time figuring out who the top receivers in the country are when we when we meet. You don't have to say who, but did you see anyone that you say is a surefire five-star wide receiver now? <sighs> That's tough. Let me look. No. Yeah, I don't. I don't think so either. A lot of moves up, but I'm not. So that sure. doesn't mean there won't be one because there's a couple of guys that I could say maybe on, you know, but nobody that really checked every box for me. I mean, this isn't the Christian Kirk situation where we were doubting him because of his size going in, and he just went into the Chicago event and dominated every aspect from the camp setting to the seven-on-seven seven setting and just couldn't be touched and covered. I didn't see anybody who was that consistent throughout the day. Um, you know, so Bridges was our MVP. The big question is, you know, size and frame, and that's what we'll have to discuss with him. So, you know, I, I, on the hoof, the best-looking one is Elijah Higgins, but I don't think he impressed me nearly enough with his downfield speed to be a five-star. So, you know, we'll have to see. But the wide receiver position is a difficult one. Uh, offensive line, I was more impressed with the offensive lineman than I was with the defensive lineman. Um, I liked Dante Lucas and his anger. Um, I like Salim Wormley from Delaware uh, and his feet. Um, Justin Rogers, the 2020 kid from Michigan, was impressive. Anthony Bradford is just a massive kid. Has to, you know, reshape his body a little bit, but put up, I, I don't know, what was it, 31 reps at 225, 32 reps? Something ridiculous. It would have put Cardell him Thomas. fifth at the. It would have put him fifth at the NFL Combine this year. Right, as a high school kid, it's ridiculous. Cardell Thomas put up 27 reps. Uh, was our strongest guy last year, and just you know won the MVP with his physical dominance. Clay Webb was up and down a little bit, but he got better as things went on. And and Stacy Wilkins looks as good as anybody. And uh, Akpergani, uh, Chris Akpergani, was also physically great looking kid. They're just a little bit raw. They've never faced, you know, speed like this. But uh, I think the offensive line group, you know, led by Thomas and Bradford and, and a few others, was better than the defensive line group. Yeah, if I'm a coach, I look at Dante Lucas. I want him on my team. That's that's how I look at it. Um, I think he played through the whistle a little far, far too much, let's say, in Atlanta. But that's the kind of attitude and personality you want from your interior offensive lineman. I think in this group we, we were struggling with, are these guys tackles or guards? I think a lot of the guys playing tackle could move to guard long term. Um, I was I was surprised that Clay Webb struggled. It was the first time that I've seen him lose reps, and I I'm not saying struggled like he lost many reps, but he did lose reps from time to time. So against a group a, a group of defensive linemen that wasn't exactly you know the best we've ever seen. Uh, this was not Jadavian Clowney and Robert Kemdichi in there. So um, th that that'll be an interesting discussion especially since he plays center. Amari Kite is a kid who looks like he should really be dominant. I didn't see that from him. I thought he was good. I thought he was fine. But we're talking about maybe one of the best offensive tackles in the country. Not so sure yet. And then Stacy Wilkins looks like a guy who's 35 years old, doesn't mess around with anybody, 
Um, I think he could actually be a guy that could move to right tackle. Uh, he, I think, I think he played a lot of left tackle at the camp. And then Akporgini, uh is just built like a – he's chiseled out of granite. He's huge shoulders but still developing. So it was an interesting group, a lot of guys that can move all around the offensive line, and, and, and like you said, Mike, a lot of development there. Yeah, the defensive line to me was very disappointing. I liked Chris Vogel. You know, he's got that skinny frame. He can he can build it out. He's super fast off the edge. Uh, I said Isaac was better than I expected. He he was a little disappointing to me in New Jersey, um, but had a good uh, event at the Five Star Challenge. Jawan Briggs, um, I like his build. Uh, I thought he had a pretty good day. Uh, Stripling, Marcus Stripling looks great on the hoof, but he's very, very inconsistent, so he's a little bit up and down. Five-star McKinley Jackson in the 2020 class um, reminds me a little bit of Dalen Mack. Um, not as sought off as Dalen Mack, but a guy that, you know, has his reps. When he's on, you can't stop him. And when he's not on, you know, then he'll struggle a little bit here. Miles Murphy was a good-looking kid for 2020 as well. Uh, J.J. Weaver I thought was impressive, and then Shamar McCollum was the energy bunny. He was just uh, always coming off the edge fast, and, and for an undersized guy, handled a lot of those offensive linemen very well. But really not a great group overall. I thought you know they lost uh, way too many reps to the offensive line. Yeah, and I think what stood out most about this group to me was the lack of defensive tackles. So you had a bunch of edge rushers. It looked like a lot of hybrid outside linebacker defensive end guys that needed to either put on weight and become a defensive end or stay skinny and and stand up and play linebacker. So you had a lot of those hybrid guys um, that were playing, you know, all the way outside 7-9 technique and then trying to get off to the edge um, and deal with it. I was impressed by Jawan Briggs. I think Virginia's getting a very good football player there Um, and a guy who was very disruptive all day on the inside, beat Clay Webb. Uh, which was impressive and just kind of dominated his reps throughout the day. So I was impressed with him. The rest of the group, uh, a little mix and match there. And linebackers, obviously, baby man, Justin Flo is the best linebacker. I thought, you know, when it comes to ceiling, um, he didn't win the MVP. That went to Brighton Constantine, who had three interceptions in seven on seven. It was also very impressive, but it's really hard to grade these guys because there's no tackling. You know, we do the cat mouse drill and all that other fun stuff, and, you know, we see how they move in space and how they drop and, and how they can read the quarterback in seven on seven and how they can try to cover the running backs uh, out of the backfield. But that's just such a joke because there's so much space for those running backs to work and they have such an advantage. Um, but I liked the weight that Gabriel Floyd added. I don't think he lost. Uh, any speed with that weight. Lee Cabanga, Cabagua, I'm sorry, the uh, West Virginia commitment was excellent. Um, really raised his stock. Brandon Smith, who's going to Penn State, big, big linebacker who can move. Um, you know, Anthony Solomon's really an undersized linebacker, but can cover very well. But you got to worry about his size there. But overall, this group is tough to really get a feel for um, because. A, the quarterbacks were accurate enough where there weren't a ton of interceptions. Constantine, I think, is the only linebacker to have one. Uh, B, the running backs and tight ends were so athletic that these guys just couldn't hang with them. But Flo is special. Yeah, and I've seen it for a couple years now from Justin Flo. He's he's really a special kid. He's 
just a complete animal on the field. He just wants to hit people, knock them around, and he has the physical makeup to do it. It's two more years in high school for this kid. Uh, I don't know how much bigger he can get. Uh, he's got big, thick tree trunk legs. He moves really well. He's he just wants to hit people, um, and he can do it. And he, sh you know, you know, was definitely right in the running for linebacker MVP. If Constantine didn't have those three interceptions in seven on seven, I think it would have been easily, you know, to give it to Justin Flo a decision. Um, the other kid I was impressed with was Tyron Hopper. Uh, all over the field, long arms, knocked down a lot of passes was very disruptive um you know i thought antoine sampa looked great um yeah i forgot about him yeah he looked great and lee kabagba i thought looked super super special and then made a lot of plays so he's a kid going to west virginia that could really help that defense a whole lot but you know the kids i didn't really notice a whole lot at ryan davis Derek wingo uh jayon mccluster a little bit um and then to gabriel floyd I had just seen him two weeks ago, and he didn't look half as big as he did there. He must have been pumping the iron in the last couple of weeks because uh, he is really, really, you know, physically matured from when I remember seeing him as a freshman and sophomore in high school. Yeah, and then moving to the defensive backs, you had two 2020s that stood out. Kaylee Ringo won the fastest man competition, which is very impressive for an underclassman. Elias Rich won the MVP competition. That kid is a big rangy defensive back. Um, he is very, very, very good. The 2019 kids are interesting. Akeem Dent was in the in the early session but didn't play 7-on-7 seven seven due to an injury. I thought he looked good, uh, but we didn't get to see a full day of evaluation with him. Tyreek Stevenson, you know, everybody in South Florida is convinced he's a five-star. I'm not sure, you know, based on seeing him at this event, uh, not really sure I agree with that. Um, he was good, but he didn't, he didn't wow me enough to say, wow, he's got to be a five-star. Um, you know, Brendan Gant was, was solid. Uh, you know, Kair Elam had his moments. Takori Couch was very disappointing. Um, very small, got pushed around quite a bit. Tyler Rudolph is a big defensive end for Penn State. Max Williams, small guy, but was very uh, impressive. Can handle those wide receivers. Uh, Jeremiah Cordell, uh, Marvin Grant. And then Stingley. I mean, Stingley's got to be the talk of the thing. You know, okay, he can't be number one because he got beaten in one-on-ones by Theo Weiss. That's what everybody says. But these one-on-ones are set up so much for, you know, the wide receivers. There's such an advantage. Obviously, they know what route they're going to run, and that's the way it is in college. They know what route they're going to run. But there's no safety help. Um, there's no crowded field. That's the big issue. I mean, it's a one-on-one -on -one. Um, so you can run any route you want. You can run a double, triple move um, without any worry about running into another wide receiver or safety or, or crossing people up. And, uh, you know, I think Stingley looked good in the seven-on-seven. I uh, played offense and defense and was especially impressive on offense. Very, very sudden kid, good ball skills as well. So will he be number one in August? I'm not sure. I don't know if anybody is the surefire number one in this 2019 class, but, you know, people that said, Theo, we beat him three out of four, Theo should be number one in the country. That's really not how it works. No, not at all. And, and Derek Singley is a very, very talented football player. And, you know, it's the body of evidence. It's not one event or three reps or whatever else. And so, um, but did you see surefire number one player in the country there? I didn't. Uh, I saw a very, very talented kid and, and definitely a kid who could be in the discussion. Um, and 
again going toward a number one. We've had years where you know you don't know who number one is, so you keep going to the guy who had the hot summer or the hot spring or who looked good in an event or or whatever else. And uh, you know, coming out of that event, I, I I don't think Derek Stingley is the best player in the country. But but just based on that event, we were hearing. The greatest athlete in Louisiana history and all of these kinds of things. Did you see Patrick Peterson? I didn't. Not, not at that event. So um, it's going to be a very, very good discussion. The problem is, like you said, Mike, who, who's going to stand on a table for a guy and be, and be like, yeah, this is number one. You know, I don't think that guy exists right now. Yeah, I mean, someone's got to be number one, and, and this is one of those years where, you know, we've already had Guevara's crouch at number one, and, and – uh, you know, he really doesn't have a position. Now you get Stingley as the first cornerback to be number one. Um, you know, could make it a wide receiver, but I don't know. You know, wide receiver is a difficult position to be number one overall. I mean, if Amon Ross St. Brown wasn't number one, then how can you justify one of these guys being number one? And so you have to you have to consider history. Obviously, we've had. You know, uh, Percy Harvin and Doro Green Beckham and guys like that. You know, Percy Harvin was a hit. Doro Green Beckham was a miss at number one at wide receiver. Um, it may be, it may be a wide receiver. I'm not sure, but I would have liked to see somebody come out and take number one overall. And I don't think anybody came close. Yeah, no, and and some other guys that stood out to me. Marvin Grant looks outstanding. I think he still needs to, you know, learn the game a little bit. But three or four years down the road, I think he can be a really special player. Um, I thought Adonis Ote struggled. I thought Jamal Hill struggled. Um, but then the, the the Ricks and Ringo kids, the 2020 kids from the West, very very impressive. They, uh, I've seen more of Ricks than Ringo so far through the spring and summer, and Ricks has been that good. Pretty much at every event, he's an incredibly long cornerback. It looks like he should probably play safety, but he does play corner and, and looks really good doing it. Ringo is a super athletic kid um, who can kind of play all over the field, probably ends up at safety. Um, and then Max Williams, the question is always about his size. Um, he's small and he's, and he's you know, not incredibly, you know, thick and strong. Uh, in that sense, but man, is he a player? He he does not let any receiver do much of anything. He can compete with big guys. Uh, he's just very very smart and crafty. The question is with Max, and it always has been and continues to be because he doesn't grow. Is does that do those skills get you know get overtaken by a, by a better receiver on the college level? Is he a kid that can step into an SEC or even a Pac-12 program immediately? or two or three years down the road at that size and still do the things he does on the high school level. So that wraps up everybody, uh, 104 kids or whatever. You know, and we, we could put a bow on it because I'm tired of talking about the five-star challenge. It was a great <laughs> event, but uh, we've written, what, 150 stories about it or something like yeah. that. So uh, if you missed all of that, then you missed quite a bit of analysis on these kids. and you know, quite a bit of insight into how they're going to be ranked at the next uh, rankings meeting. So um, we'll see how that, all that shakes out. This little plug, we have a series right now, the top rank by position in Rivals.com history. We started with quarterbacks last week, 
and did the running backs, wide receivers, offensive linemen, and we're starting on defense this week. So if you go to the front page of Rivals, you'll see the top-ranked defensive ends in Rivals.com history, led by Jadavian Clowney, who's the best player I've ever seen in high school. Um, quarterback was interesting because I put these in order. You sent them to me, obviously, by year, and I put them in order. Um, you know, and Trevor Lawrence being ahead of Vince Young, that's a tough one. I mean, really hard to make that that argument, but, um, man, out of high school, you know, Lawrence just has more, whereas Vince Young was a great athlete with the quirky release and all that other good stuff. So that was kind of difficult to figure out. Running back, um, you know, Adrian Peterson being number one, that was easy. Najee Harris being number two, that was pretty easy, and then Bryce Brown. So it's kind of an interesting series. Reggie Bush was number two overall, so he wasn't a candidate, but he's still one of the best players I've ever seen out of high school when you talk about uh, a kid's highlight film and, and the things that he did on the field. Wide receiver, a lot of busts in that wide receiver group, a lot of busts that went to USC. Um, you know, George Farmer, Kyle Prater, um, who's the other one, uh, Patrick Turner. Yeah. I mean, my goodness, those kids were all can't-miss guys, just big receivers who ran like a deer and just absolutely did nothing. Um, you know, I think uh, Turner had the best career out of all of them, and he still, you know, was very much a blip on the on the radar there uh, and certainly didn't make a big impact. And the offensive line group led by Andre Davis, number two in the country. So check that out. Um, but today was easy. Clowney over Kim Dietschy, over Hand, over Powell, over Coward. Now, two big busts in there to me, three big busts. I mean, Powell was injuries, a very, very skilled player. Injuries kind of hurt him. Byron Coward, I guess, head case. He's at Maryland now, so we'll see if he can turn his career around, but I don't really think so. Deshaun Hand, the victim of depth at, uh, at Alabama, just had one real year where he was a starter and then Kandice had an up and down college career but enough to get drafted in the first round and now he's a massive bust in the NFL but Clowney was clearly the number one even though he mailed in his third year of college just a freak of nature yeah yeah he did mail it in but what stood out to me about when I was doing this list was the top six kids on the list are from played in the SEC Clowney, Kandice Hand Powell, Cowart Miles Garrett Yep. And then, and then uh, Clemson was represented. Maryland with Melvin Leasy back in 2005. Carl Lawson, Auburn, and then Kayvon Thibodeau. So if Thibodeau looks at this list as he's making his decision, will it play any influence that so many top guys, um, uh, you know, played in the SEC? I think that's going to play a factor for him. Honestly, when I talked to him last, he said that. You know, you know the the West Coast schools, the Pac-12 schools, really aren't recruiting him all that much. Um, when it, in terms of you know how how the SEC and ACC schools are handling him, and we all kind of know that. I think the SEC and ACC schools are far more aggressive on the recruiting trail, and some kids see that, and some kids care about it, and some kids don't. So, you know, Thibodeau's the only one on this list who hasn't gone through college yet. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see where he ends up because he, he could be a special player too if he has the motor going 100% of the time. Did you see somebody said he was a once-in-a-generation prospect, Thibodeau? Once in a... Did they say generation or millennium, I, I think? It's something millennium. Something. It's ridiculous. Completely just, just ridiculous. 
crazy. I mean, especially at that position where you've got the best high school football player that I think most people have seen. I mean, Jadavion Clowney was the consensus number one in 2011. If you watch his highlight film and didn't get to see him in person, you'll see why he's number one overall. If you got to see him in person, I mean, he was at the Shrine Bowl of the Carolinas going against a four-star offensive tackle, and he drew like seven holding penalties yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you were at that game, right? Just so everyone knows, Mike made me fly across the country from California to South Carolina to cover the Shrine Bowl of the Carolinas, and it was the year, it, luckily it happened to be the year Jadavian Clowney was there. And he That's was, why I did it. He was so good in the game. The first snap I've ever seen from Jadavian Clowney it, he was so fast off the edge, it looked like he was offsides easily. The, the offensive tackle had did not even get out of his stance, and Clowney had the quarterback in his hands, the first play of the game. So he was incredibly good in high school. Um, I think if we ever redo the series of who the num- number one number one ever was, uh, I, I don't know how he could be beaten as a high school prospect. He was so dominant and so good. He was 6'6", 247 in high school, and he was just phenomenal. Yeah, it's, I mean, he's the best I've seen. I think, you know, my number two would be Adrian Peterson, probably. Yeah. Um, you know, when it comes to just dominance at your position. But but Clowney's still number one. Um, you know, there are guys that I've seen that have been a little bit more electric, like Noel Devine was one of the most electric players I've ever seen in my life. Um, didn't pan out at West Virginia. I mean, had an okay career, but didn't go on to the pros and was undersized, but did some amazing things, you know, when you're talking about a guy that just you never knew what you were going to get on the next play and those spin moves of his. Um, but pure high school football player at his position, the best is Jadavian Clowney I've ever seen. Now, again, that's 20 years. There might have been guys, you know, in the in the mid-90s or the early 90s or the 80s or whatever that I didn't see or weren't wasn't covering this back then that might have been better. But it still goes back to Clowney for me, and I haven't seen anybody better you know some people try to you know say you know Rashawn Gary was better than Clowney and now this Thibodeau stuff those are very very good football players but they're, they're not Clowney his, his tape is just unbelievable so yeah. do yourself a favor and watch it we're also running a series on you know some quarterback battles we did Alabama today who's going to win um that quarterback battle, USC's coming tomorrow. The funny thing about USC is I still can't believe Matt Fink is a competitor for the starting job after how god-awful he looked at the Under Armour game, what was that, like three years ago? Yeah, I don't, I don't think anyone's – I mean, you have to put his name in there, but I don't think anyone seriously thinks he's in, in the running. I'm not entirely sure there is a running, but we'll see how it pans out. Well, you're a big JT Daniels guy, obviously, but the kids should be playing high school football this year. So is he that good? Is he Jake Fromm? Is he going to be able to handle the pressure and, you know, step in right away, you know, as that type of true freshman? Um, We'll we'll see. He's going to have the talent around him. I picked JT Daniels to be the starter when that article comes out tomorrow. Um, Obviously, I picked Tua to be the starter for Alabama. I don't think anyway Jalen Hurts wins that job. Um, but, you know, there are some interesting battles. And Fink was in there. You know, Sears couldn't beat out Fink last year, which surprises me. Um, yeah. I thought he would play and, and be ahead of him on the depth chart. Yeah, I mean, uh, we'll see how USC shapes out, uh, you know, pans out. And Sears is not, you know, chopped liver. He's a very talented kid. He can move. He knows the offense um 
But JT Daniels is a special, special kid. He's not going to USC to sit behind anybody. Much like Josh Rosen was going to UCLA not to sit behind anybody. And JT Daniels was better than Josh Rosen in high school. So uh, if that translates over, uh, he's 18 years old. He can go. He can go there and play right away. He will have some very talented players around him. Obviously, the offensive line will continue to be a concern, much like when Ohio State eat him up, ate him up in the bowl game. Um, but but uh, you know, if you look at when at Army, if you looked at Trevor Lawrence and you looked at JT Daniels, and who else was there? Fields. Uh, Fields was Under Armour didn't play. Yeah. Okay. So it was Trevor Lawrence, JT Daniels. And someone else who slips my mind. There was very little difference between any of them. They were all very, very, very talented kids. And then Alabama is on a roll in recruiting. They're the number one team in the recruiting rankings. Uh, your recruiting rankings go like this right now. Alabama number one. Remember last year at this time, everybody was worried that Alabama was struggling and they weren't recruiting well, and they finished number seven, and Nick Saban's lost his mojo, and losing so many assistant coaches has killed the program, blah, blah, blah. Well, they're number one right now. Texas A&M, number two. Oklahoma, number three. Michigan, number four. Notre Dame, number five. That's our team rankings, which is on the front page of Rivals.com as well. Uh, but interesting that Najee Harris came out and said he almost transferred. Not surprising at all. Um you know, he went into a situation where there what I think there were five running backs. Yeah. When he committed to, he was just like one of five running backs when he committed there. PJ Emmons ended up what transferring, I yep. think. Yeah. Um, but there was so much talent there when he chose Alabama. You know, what did he expect? To go in there and take over from everybody? I guess Cam yes. Akers did, <laughs> but there wasn't as much depth at Florida State as there was at Alabama. Right, and. When you go to Alabama, and this is a good problem for Nick Saban to have, but also a delicate one, um, you know, there could be three or four guys at your position and you think you're the best one and you're not going to play as much as some other guys. Do, do you sit Damian Harris to put Najee Harris in the game? I wouldn't. You're rolling no. to a national championship. Why would you do that? So Najee Harris has to be patient. He clearly has NFL first-round ability. He's going to get on the field more with Bo Scarborough gone. Uh, everything will be fine. And don't make a dumb decision and transfer out and go to some unnamed school where you could be the man and put up big stats. Stay at Alabama. Do your thing. You're going to obviously be noticed by every NFL team. NFL teams love the way Nick Saban runs his program. It's kind of NFL light. He invites them there all the time to see his guys. Kids are uh, uh, scouts are going to fall in love with Najee Harris. The worst thing he could do is transfer out of there. Yeah, I mean Derrick Henry waited his turn, so to speak, and ended up winning the Heisman and being drafted in the second round. And he's currently in the NFL. And I think Najee Harris is better than Derrick Henry. So um, you know, but there's a lot of talent there. But these kids, they don't want to wait. Period. Yeah, just not going to. You know, if they can't play right away, they're going to transfer. So, but he didn't, to his credit, he didn't transfer. We'll see if he's one of those mid-season guys who says, I'm out of here because I'm third on the depth chart or whatever. Um, but right now, uh, the way he looked in the national championship game was just sort of a glimpse of what we can expect from him. Uh, but I don't think he's going to be the starter. Uh, you know, Damian Harris is the guy. So, you know, as, as a number two guy, he could still be like Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle, and one of them has a great game and the other one follows up with a great game and 
you know, it could be a situation like that, but he's just going to have to wait his turn, and I don't know. I just think there's going to be more and more transfers. The good thing about it is, you know, you can play four games without losing your red shirt and all that other good stuff, so um, they're making transferring easier now, whereas the school doesn't dictate where you can go and all that stuff, too. So, But you still have to sit out a year, and I just don't think it would be worth it. How about this, Mike, too? I just scrolled down the list. Of the top 50 teams in the team recruiting rankings, only one team, so 49 of the 50, have double-digit commits now. So, uh, you know, Alabama, 20. A&M, 21. Their classes are almost basically done. Michigan, 19. LSU, 19. Mississippi, 22. Uh, We're not even into the late summer uh, before their senior years, so... Uh, there was obviously huge runs in the last couple weeks of commitments. It's interesting that with an early signing period now, the calendar has been changed so much. Uh, junior days, I think, have far less importance. Kind of personal visits to campus have far greater importance. Um, and kids are committing earlier and earlier. Classes are wrapped up. And it's still, what, seven, eight months before you know the, 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 the real signing day. Um, but but I think that first signing day is going to take over everything and be really the day of, of that that matters for everybody. Um, you know what all these early commitments means too, right? A lot of D commitments. It's gonna be a ton of them. Yeah. So get ready. You know things were slow in April yeah. to me. They were slow in May. Usually with the the spring evaluation period, you usually start to see a ton of commitments. Right around late May, straight into. This week, it became ridiculous. I mean, the amount of commitments try, that we were trying to track. We, we do an article, um, you know, commits of the week, and we just do Power Five commitments of the week. Um, you know, there are 49 in the past week. Okay, that there was one week we had 96. Yeah. 96 Power Five commitments in one week. We had to split the file up to offense and defense because it was just too long. <laughs> you had to scroll for like five days. I'm not sure why it's been the summer instead of the spring, but um, you know things are going nuts right now. It's going to continue that way. Then it'll slow down, obviously, once football season starts and and training camp starts for the kids in August. And then uh, we'll see, you know, who has official visits left and who decommits and who decides to sign. It's going to be nutty, but I think there's going to be a whole lot of decommitments. Um, but the funny thing about it is when you look at all the commitments, you look at our top ten. Number two, you know, Darnell Wright, undecided. Yeah. Number four, Kayvon Thibodeau, undecided. Number five, Proveris Crouch, undecided. You know, Brew McCoy, number seven. Yeah. Trey Sanders, number eight. Ismail Softshirt, number nine. And Clay Webb, number ten, all undecided. So you got like six of the top ten players in the country. Uh, or is that seven? That's seven of the top players in the country still haven't made their decision. So there's still a lot of intrigue out there, a lot of stuff left. I think we can sort of wrap it up there. How, how, how long are we gone? Too long. 46 minutes? That's just too long. Here, right? Enough's enough. Dave Barry, you got anything exciting going on? Uh, No, not really. I Just like you guys, you were doing uh, a lot of write-ups on the five-star challenge. I was doing a lot of video uh, for the five-star challenge. Yeah, so and I, you made me do every bit of audio. Thanks. Appreciate it. it. It's because you're the best, Mike. No, that's not it. You just wanted somebody who was stupid enough, who has no life. Go right to, to Mike them all for that. Quickly. It was 
It was because Gorney was on vacation. Yeah. That's the real reason. <laughs> Usually the stupid guy with no life, he was on vacation. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of annoying, you being on vacation. You know, it was... It was Especially okay. seeing all the pictures. So so this was my vacation. Tell me, tell me if you think this is relaxing or, or what. We After Atlanta, uh, you know, the next morning, pick up the rental car from the Atlanta airport, which is obviously immediate stress. Drive, it was me, my wife, and my one-year-old daughter from Atlanta to Myrtle Beach, spent three days with my parents, then got in the car and drove to Pen- Northeast Pennsylvania, where I grew up, 12 hours, uh, spent five days there, then last night drove back to Philadelphia and overnight flew to L.A., and here I am doing the podcast. I, I'm, I'm shocked I'm still alive. It looked, it looked relaxing, though, in all the Facebook pictures. Yeah, well, Facebook's the place you go to, you know, smile and make sure everybody's happy all the time. Well, here's the funny thing about it. Your daughter is not going to remember one second of that entire week. She's going to remember every single thing. We went to Sesame Sesame Street Place yesterday before we left. Yeah, I'm sure that's going to be, you know, when she's 24, she's going to remember the Sesame Street Place. That's the thing about it. It's like, how old is your daughter? 14 months. All right, she's a football essentially. <laughs> Football that moves, right? She's not going to remember any of this stuff. Now, if something traumatic happened, like, you know, your father got stuck in an elevator or something, <laughs> she'll probably remember that, but she's not going to remember any of this stuff. All this money you spent and all these visits, uh, she's not going to remember any of it. Well, at least we'll have... Sorry to be negative. <laughs> yeah, really. Was, Thanks, Uncle Mike. I was, well, I was very annoyed seeing you in the sunshine uh, on Facebook while I'm sitting in my stupid office doing stupid feral takes on stupid stuff. You have Cape Cod down the road, Newport, Rhode Island. Uh, I don't go anywhere. Long Island Shore. And, and you could go, go there every day if you wanted to. I go nowhere. Oh. I, go, I go nowhere. I do nothing. <laughs> Today I got to write a three-point stance in the middle of July. Yeah. Try coming up with topics to write about in the middle of there is nothing, and I mean nothing going on right now. Right about that. I mean, it's a, it's amazing we even got this podcast off the ground. Thank <laughs> God for the five-star challenge. Because what are we going to talk about next week? We'll skip next week. <laughs> yeah. We're probably taking it off. Yeah. All right, let's wrap this, uh, this 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 piece of awesomeness up and. See if we can get over 300 people to listen to this. All right. All right. Well, I'll, I'll remind everybody real quick. Our, uh, you can find us on Twitter at Rivals Mike, at Adam Gorney, and at Real Dave Barry. Uh, and leave us a review on iTunes. That would help us out as well. So we will see everybody again possibly next week. Maybe not. 